Message Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keel Guard Studios. Bass Edge Nation, welcome to the April 1. Don't be fooled, even though it's April Fools. This is going to be another great episode from Bass Edge Radio. Aaron, I'm excited to get this thing started. There's been a lot going on in the industry, as always is the springtime. For sure, and uh, certainly we have a packed episode. Very excited from when uh, you texted me and let me know uh, what was going on. Um, but yes, very busy times. I know uh, both of us have actually had a, a couple of events that we have fished since we last got on the mic together. Yeah, Aaron. You know, we had uh, you fished over there at the MLF Phoenix Bass Fishing League, I think is the appropriate name now. Tell me about that, man. I know uh, we had a MegaWare team member, Mr. James Watson, past guest on the show many times. He had a great event out there. Tell me about it, man. What what happened over at Lake of the Ozark? This was post-Ice Bowl from the Toyota series that they had this this BFL out there, right? You are correct. And, uh, you know, about a week after that, uh, I arrived for practice. Water temperature was, you know, 39 degrees. It did uh, get up into the mid-40s on an average. You know, I did find some 50-degree water. Listen to this, Kurt. 230 boaters and 230 co-anglers. Wow, and, big uh, deal. You know, you bring up James Watson. Uh, uh, out of the top 10, we had a second-place MegaWare team. James Watson, fourth-place Matt L, sixth-place Bobby Albert. But Andy Newcomb came out on top with 21 pounds. Uh, nice. It was very interesting. So my fellow brethren that was sitting out there on the water with me uh, very late, you can imagine the uh, the lake was low, Kurt. So it put all of the launching basically at uh, PB2, which is a, a fairly good size ramp. But we had a little uh, a traffic jam that uh, prevented <laughs> a little clogging, yeah, a little clogging, <laughs> a little clogging. And uh, I got a call uh, about 7:30 that some buddies of mine uh, had just gotten their boat on the trailer, and they said there was still about 50 to load. Um, so you can imagine there was a, a little bit of frustration, but that didn't separate uh, us from having a good time fishing. So how was the fishing? Yeah, how how was that? Was it? Typical cold water, a rig fest, or, or how did it go down for you? For me, um, I threw an a rig predominantly and a jerk bait in practice. And what was happening? We had a couple days of warm weather. Then we had a cold front come through with a lot of rain, so it kind of blew out some of the backs of the creeks and stuff like that. Muddied up some stuff. Um, but for me, I stuck with a shallow. I I really felt the, you know the uh, my days in practice, the fish were coming in, starting to come in. And uh, certainly a lot of pressure with that many boats, but everybody had to deal with it. But I stuck with a jerkbait and uh, on tournament day caught a ton. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time that I caught that many short fish. Uh, adjusted, tried moving out, try, tried to throw the A-rig, but was only able to capitalize on three keepers. Um, but the gentleman, Andy Newcomb, that actually won it, his style was kind of what uh, capitalized in the Toyota uh, event, which was throwing okay. an A-rig over brush piles, watching that, that on his uh, forward-facing sonar using his Garmin. And then uh, as the fish would show, he would uh, jerk down a jerkbait, let it stay suspended over the brush pile, and basically watch the fish come up and crush it. So uh, yeah, anyway. Amazing what the forward-facing sonar is enabling anglers to do. We've, we talk about it all the time here on the show, but uh, another – Another great example, whereas, you know, in the past, you know, maybe some of those fish weren't going to be caught. But, uh, man, with that forward-facing yeah. sonar, really be able, able to uh, execute to precision. Yeah, to and, and like we've bass. said before, Kurt, if if, uh, if you're not using it, you're getting beat by somebody that is. And, uh, That's right. You know, right. you have had an event since, since the last time we got together, and I believe that was on uh, Smith Lake, correct? Yeah, man. You know, I, I, I got to say that I was pretty excited going out there to Smith Lake event, and uh, I had a decent first day. I was in the 50 range after day one, had a great pattern, throwing a spinner bait, back of pockets utilizing some wind, bait fish getting blown back in there, uh, even lost, uh, you know, everybody's got a lost fish story. And, and I typically don't, but I have a, you know, I had a lost fish story there day one, uh, but had an opportunity for a great bag, had a decent bag, been excited for day two, fished what I would call a smart day two. Okay. And 
man, I was excited about the possibilities of what was going to happen for me in this event. And, uh, man, fishing got a hold of my neck and squoze it really tight. <laughs> and, and, I, and I choked, man. I caught zero keepers on day two of the tournament, fell down in the standings. And, um, I mean, long story short, though, is I, I took it hard. Uh, of course, you know, anybody that, uh, you know, is, is trying to excel, you know, and you, and you don't, you take it a little hard, but sure. man, I really felt like I fished effectively that day and, and thoroughly and smart. I didn't get excited. You know, I could tell that the spinnerbait bite wasn't the same as it was, uh, the day prior, didn't have the same windy type conditions, saw that the bait fish had kind of retreated from the backs to more of the middle of the drains and, uh, you know, getting under some of the docks and it was a little more sunny, but, uh, man, I, I adjusted, I, I changed from my spinner bait, started jerking secondary points and I caught a lot of fish that day. It was a, it was a, you know, I, I, I forget exactly how many, let's just say 15 or so fish, but just never came up with any keepers, but jerk baited, you know, changed, caught some fish doing that. Just never, never ran into a keeper fish, started slowing down later in the day, throwing a stick bait underneath docks. Now, the great thing about fishing national events is that you can go back and watch how other guys are catching them because it's on TV and, sure. and YouTube and all that kind of great stuff. So I was frustrated, like, what, what happened to me that, that day, and, and, and why did things go? I mean, I start seeing some of the other patterns that, that had developed. And, man, I did a lot of the same things and, and caught fish doing all of them. Just uh, maybe it was the area of the lake. Maybe it was uh, just not my day. <laughs> There's a lot of things there. But um, anyway, long story short is I rolled out of Smith Lake with, with, a, with a tough day, too. But uh, – continue to learn and as we all do about fishing and moving on to the next one excited well, I, to get lake murray going on at the end of april yeah and kurt you know you and i have talked about this many times and i appreciate you sharing that because it's it's not fun when you have those days and and but you said it best learning something being able that's why we do this right is to be able to kind of pick up from those types of days and come back right. out and and regroup and uh Anyway, I, I hats off to you. Uh, best of luck on the next one. You will, yeah, you yeah, will we'll be out pick there. up the face. And, uh, you know, maybe to kind of hopefully something that will brighten your spirits is the new announcement. Uh, exciting. We've been talking about it, kind of hinting about it the last uh, couple episodes. But the, the new Bass Edge swag that uh, is co-branded with the, the MegaWare Keel Garden. Certainly need to mention that MegaWare has been a longtime sponsor from day one of Bass Edge Radio. And uh, certainly, as we know and mentioned many times, we've got the battery guards, which is the latest, greatest thing, the flex step, the first do-it-yourself keel protector. But all of those things can be found on keelguard.com. And now, listeners have the ability to uh, kind of... Get out that there co-branded apparel. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's awesome. I'm I'm excited about it. Um, everybody needs to watch the uh, Bass Edge Radio Instagram page and the Bass Edge Radio Facebook page. We are going to do a little giveaway. All right. So, um, you know, there might be might be some modeling going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to show everybody this apparel that we've got. You know direct them where, where they could get it online and, um, you know, represent the Bass Edge uh, swag, uh, you know, out there while they're fishing. And um, we're going to give away some of this stuff, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun, Aaron. I'm, I'm excited for it. Man, we got a we got a huge show coming up today. Um, we've already I feel like we've already had a great show uh, even just here in the first segment. But in our next segment, we are going to bring in a special guest from PowerPole. We're going to talk to uh, Kurt Hill. It's in the marketing department there at PowerPole. We're going to talk about the charge system. We're going to dive in. Aaron, we've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of shows. I've been crazily impressed with it. Yes, and uh, ever since that uh, you had kind of mentioned on the episode, you know, thankfully Kurt is, is carving out time on his day off, mind you, uh, yeah, to join yeah. us and uh, help help educate us on on what uh, what needs to be present and take better care of our batteries. You got the battery guard under it. Now you've got the charging system to go with it, that's Mr. Right, Dove. That's uh, right. it, I, I think that's a one-two punch. It is. It is. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the one-two punch, y'all. Stay tuned. We're gonna come back with Kurt Hill from PowerPole talking about the charge system. But before we get there, check out this tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com. This episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Bill McDonald. 
Hey guys, one of the tips that I think is very key is your weight size and your hook selection. You know, in a pitch and flipping situation, I'm always throwing a Hayabusa straight shank flipping hook and I tie a snail knot on that deal. And it just, when you set that hook, that hook always turns up on a snail straight into the top of the fish's head. So your hookup ratio is so good. But the weight selection, you always want to try to get the lightest weight you can get by with to catch those fish, but you got to play around with it. You know, I've had instances before where I could get by with a three eighths ounce weight and I was flipping and I was flipping and wasn't really getting bit, ended up getting hung up, broke off, picked up a one ounce weight that I had because I didn't want to retie, pitched right back in the same area and got bit. It was that reaction bite that triggered that fish. So in that particular situation, those fish were reacting to a faster fall. And that's just something you got to play around with, trial and error. So, you know, if you've got multiple rods, try to rig up a few different rods with different weights on it. And you can play around and figure out which one you're getting the most active bites on. And I think if you do that, that, that tip right there will help you put some more fish in the boat. Great tip, Bill. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. As mentioned earlier, this episode, a special guest for this segment Kurt Hill, the marketing projects coordinator from PowerPole, able to join us today as we have discussed in past shows, you know, all kinds of products from JL Marine, the PowerPole, and really going to dive into the details of the PowerPole charge system. Kurt, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Oh, guys, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, Kurt, uh, Kurt. Hill, that is, I should say, since we're talking with two Kurtz this morning. You know, certainly the brand PowerPole um, is, is has been a staple on the on the Bass Edge boats and the Bass Edge program for a very, very long time. Probably, I would think, you know, Kurt Dove would agree. It's one of the uh, most asked about boat accessories that we get quizzed on. What are those on the back of the boat? But now, you know, the brand PowerPole has not only has the shallow water anchor uh, systems, but now has the charge system. And really want to dive off into the basic use of that charge system and really where PowerPole saw the need uh, for it in the fishing industry. So with the fishing industry and the boats nowadays, you know, you've got so much power draw coming from all the electronics, the trolling motors, live well pumps, lights, everything that you've been adding to these boats. And we just saw the need for more power to be given to these boats. So we came up with our charge system, the PowerPole Charge, and it basically takes the place of three different devices. Your traditional battery charger that you plug into the wall at home, a charge on the run system that harnesses power from the alternator and gives it back to all of your batteries, and an emergency start system so that if, that way, if you do drain all your power in your batteries, we'll harness the little bit that's left from your trolling motor batteries, give it back to your cranking so you can fire up your engine and get back to the ramp. Kurt, man, this, it's a, a great concept. D- definitively, uh, power pole, you know, ahead of its time and thinking about this charge system. Now with the, uh, as you mentioned, the electronic system, really probably the biggest power draw now that we're seeing with these, you know, 12 and 16 inch units, um, you know, of course, charging at night and, and all the things that need to be in place to muscle up 
that battery system that, that we're running in the boat. You know, I've been able to run the charge system for several months. Um, I'd love to kind of break this down for the listeners um, of actually how the system works from the app. Uh, telling the app, I mean, it's such a smart system, right? I mean, you, you're actually telling the app how many reserve minutes, what style of battery is, whether it's an AGM, lead acid, gel, lithium. Uh, can you go through kind of that smart system and why it's so important and, and um, you know, just kind of the epitome of, of the system itself? And God, it's just, just such an amazing product. Yeah, not a problem. So the reason that you want to put all of that information into our app is so that you can optimize the charge to the setup that you have. Since we have the capability to charge all the different battery types that are out there, especially when it comes to lithium, they can handle a bigger amount of power going to them as well as coming out of them than your traditional lead-acid batteries. And everything can take a different charge rate based on the battery type that it is, as well as how much charge you get in each battery based on the amp hours and capacity of the battery. So really you're putting all that information into the app so that the charge unit itself knows what it's charging and can optimize the performance for the battery setup that you have on your boat. You know, it's it's amazing. We talk about so much, Kurt, here on on Bass Edge and just the level now that you guys have, meaning Power Pulse specifically, have been able to add to the charge system. You know, we have experienced many times, I guess, of recent that it almost eliminates the need to go to the higher cost lithium batteries and, uh, you know, those types of setups because the charge system is working to really to maintain your battery use and provide, you know, that longevity for uh, the gel, the AGM or the lead acid type batteries like we just touched on. Would you kind of agree with that assessment or, or am I off base on that? So while it looks like that would be the proper message to send to everybody that's not quite what i would recommend the reason behind that is i don't know what everybody's battery consumption is when you're sitting still and your big motor's not on or you're not plugged into the wall yes the the charge system will be able to move power back and forth between the trolling motor batteries and your cranking battery but it's not able to give you more power while you're just out there. So if you're taking long days on the water, running the trolling motor for a long period of time without firing up your big outboard, you may still need to step up to those higher capacity batteries. We do recommend, you know, that you have, if you're going to have the ultimate setup, lithium on the trolling motor side and an AGM lead acid on the cranking side, just so that we know we can always have, those batteries don't ever shut off. So with lithium, you know, there's a certain point of dead where they'll just turn off. Um, and we don't ever want that to happen on your cranking side. So that's kind of why we prefer that setup. Um, I'm sure the lithium battery companies don't want to hear that. But <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would definitely say that, you know, it depends on the individual and the style of fishing and how much power needs you have on your boat to give you a recommendation on what batteries to go with. That's Great recommendation, Kurt. It sounds it makes perfect sense to me. I want to really kind of dive into about that charge system and it providing power to the system, to your battery system, whatever that may be, while you're running the boat. Now, you know, when you're distributing, when the charge system distributes that power, previously it would only distribute to the cranking battery because that's the only thing that had the ability to, to distribute power. Is the charge system now distributing power to all of the batteries in the boat while you're running, or is it still just the cranking battery? You are correct. It is giving it to all of the batteries in the boat and actually will harness the power from the alternator and give it to the trolling motor batteries first because they have a higher capacity. And we can always – so during the day without the boat running – the charge will take that power from the trolling motor batteries and give it back to your cranking battery. So that's why we charge those up first. Once those are topped off, then the charge will convert back and allow the cranking battery to get charged up. I think that's the big, one of the big keys to this whole system from my perspective, just being able to harness that much power when the boat is running, whether it's you're idling in the morning and, and things are topping off or, you know, you're just moving spot to spot or dock to dock. You know, that little bit of power that that charge system is is harnessing or potentially a lot of power if you're making a 10, 15, 20 minute run in your bass boat, man, it's it's really just, you know, it's keeping things in my boat more 
leveled off to the highest power than, than I've ever seen before. Every evening when I come in, this is also another part that I love about the charge system. I plug in my boat and it tells me immediately what percentage my batteries are at, which is a lot better, Kurt. Wouldn't you agree? Rather than having the you know one or two or three LED lights for maybe a twenty-five or fifty or seventy-five percent charge, because you really don't know what that is. But the charge system is telling the consumer exactly where their batteries are at throughout the fishing day once they plug it in at the end of the night. Yeah, I mean that's all done through the app, which I don't think was one thing that you had mentioned to the listeners. You look at it in the app, and it'll tell you exactly where all those batteries are at any time during the day. So if you're even just curious while you're out on the water, hey, I've been running this trolling motor for a long time, haven't fired up my big motor, and just want to see what your battery levels are, open up the app, you can see it right there. A lot of people keep their boats in their garage or close to their house. They don't even have to go out in the garage to see if their batteries are topped off anymore. They just (laughs) open up the app. As long as they've got Bluetooth connection, they can see what they've got going on through their phone. And it does a multi- multitude of things, right? It's color-oriented, and once you plug it in, it's percentage-oriented. So it's real easy to read. That is correct, yes. Well, certainly, Kurt Hill, I mean, with the just the sheer power requirements now, you know, of big four-stroke like the Mercury's, the 250XS that, that we run, uh, you know, you mentioned the 36-volt system just on the trolling motor side with the amount of graphs. You know, you have people putting four to uh, six graphs on you know, their boats, uh, the power needs just seem to keep getting higher and higher. And certainly the, the complement of the power pole charge system, uh, Kurt Dove and I have talked about many times, it, it's a must have. And, and even if you already have a boat, let's say that this is not on, adding it um, is probably fairly, fairly simple to do, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and you can go online and kind of look, kind of change the game. So instead of having you know, independent leads for every battery. We've got a set of leads for your trolling motor batteries, and we've got a set of leads for your cranking battery that come out of their own respective wire harnesses. And there's a couple different configurations. Multiple people have different things. It's good for a 12-volt with a 36 and a 12-volt with a 24. So the system's not just for the guys with the 36-volt trolling motor, but it's also good for the guys with the 24-volt trolling motor system as well. Yeah, and, and even and even maybe more important with those those anglers that maybe have a, a little bit older boat but are still adding all these new components to them, whether it be the new trolling motors that, that you know create so much more power and, and of course they need the charge system to help create that power and then at the same time they're adding uh, you know new electronics and all these new styles to some of those older boats that still have that twenty four system and this this charge system works with it as well. Kurt, man, it's been great to chat with you today about the charge system. I feel like personally, you know, not enough anglers know about this and want to get that out there. I think that there's upgrades that anglers can do outside of just buying new batteries that actually in this circumstance with the charge system just provides uh, that upgrade of power that you need. And the power pole charge system will do that for a lot of boats out there, a lot of bass anglers and, and folks that need that additional uh, you know, power for their boats. So, Kurt, before we go, it's been a great discussion. I want to ask quickly, PowerPole coming out with you know all these great innovative products, do you have any teasers for us of something that may be coming down the road for the Bass Edge audience? I can give you a little bit of something, and the one thing I want to basically tell you is We've got a team of engineers that are always working on the next thing for PowerPole and our products that we develop. Most people kind of figured it out by now. Um, we are working on a trolling motor, but I can't give you any details other than that. <laughs> well, the, the, just knowing that uh, the trolling motor is, uh, you know, a trolling motor from PowerPole is being worked on, I think that that's. Uh, going to be a great benefit to, to bass anglers well, all over well kurt hill how about, what you, i was going to say kurt dove uh, what about we get the promise then since we we got the breaking news how about we get the breaking interview kurt hill when you can talk about it so that we can get you back on here to uh to, to give us the goods oh i'd love to come back on the show that'd be great that'd be great well that's well, let's plan on that and kurt hill thanks again for taking time out to be with us here on bass edge radio talking about the power pole charge system today we're going to come right back. I mean, we still got a great show coming up and, and more 
interviews. We've got the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight next. Y'all stay tuned. This is professional angler Jeff Sprague. I'm 2017 Forest Wood Cup qualifier Shane LaHue. This is FLW Tour Angler Brian Schmidt. This is Lucas Oil Pro Mark Rose, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kurt. know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. Aaron, as I mentioned in our previous segment, I'm excited for today's interview, man. We've got a newbie to the show. We're going back-to-back Kyles. How about that? We're going from Kyle Gellis to this Kyle, Kyle Cortiana. I feel like I've fished with him a lot just because I'm a big fan of his YouTube channel. He does a great job putting his tournaments out there on YouTube and, and also other tips, tricks, and tactics. And uh, help me welcome to the show, MLF Big Five Tackle Warehouse Pro, Kyle Cortiana. Appreciate you taking time to hang with us, Kyle. Hey, Kurt, man. I really appreciate it. Aaron as well. Uh, I'm excited to be part of the Bass Head Show. I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys are going to grill me with questions, and so I'll give you the best <laughs> answers that I can. So. We're going to break Thanks you down and pull you out right here, brother. <laughs> uh, that's right. Well, well, don't, don't tell any of my dark secrets to my wife if we get there, okay? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, we generally start out with uh, we keep the gloves on first, and then we'll see how it goes from there, Kyle. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to mention as we get going, great event at the last MLF Pro Circuit stop on Smith Lake. Your, your best finish on the national level to date. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct, man. It has been a long time coming for me, and I can't tell you how happy I was for all that to take place. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a believer that God has a plan, and I'm just happy to be part of it. But uh, it does tickle me when, when the plan is supposed to be like that. So I really enjoyed every <laughs> bit of that. Last time we were at Smith Lake, of course, then it was an FLW Tour event. You made a top 30 cut, so you got a little mojo, it seems like, maybe with Smith Lake. And uh, let's chat about some pre-spawn tactics you employed to help guide you to a top five finish there. What were some things that you noticed out there fishing in practice that kind of led you to uh, have the success that you did, Kyle? Yeah, that's a great topic. I believe it was 2018 when we were there, but it was later in April when we were there. Uh, we had rising waters. It was, it was four or five foot high and it came up kind of quick. But, uh, you know, those those bass were spawning hardcore and even a lot of post-spawn. So uh, we had totally different conditions, but at the same time, you can take that knowledge and fast forward it now to 2021. Here we are, third week of March, second, second third week of March getting out there and... Uh, the water temps were obviously colder. Uh, I saw water temps in the low 50s as we started practice. So you, you're looking for those upper 60s in the mornings, the water's warming and the things like that to know those fish are probably on bed, you know. So the most part, you knew that wasn't happening. You knew it was going to be a full-on pre-spawn deal for the most part. Most of your fish are going to be doing that. Uh, but my, my prior knowledge was helpful. Uh, that was the first time I'd been there and we got three days of practice back then. I'm sure you remember Kurt. Now we're down to two, uh, yes, but yes. we got three days then. So I kind of knew a couple areas of lake. I just, I knew something about, and I was comfortable with where the fish wanted to spawn. So I could use that knowledge to go see where are they now? I know where they're going, but where are they now? Even then I've decided I love spotted bass. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if we think alike or what, but I kind of just think I, you know, it's one of those fish, I don't want to say, you know, I'd call my shot, but like, I got a lot of confidence putting my head down doing certain things and I'm eventually going to get some of the right bite. And, um, I do like that about them. Um, so, you know, I'm, I employed the same kind of technique where I'm, I'm power fishing with a swim bait. I'm covering water with a swim bait. Um, and every now and then integrate needing to slow down, whether it be because there's a brush pile 
or if you run into a fish you think is spawning, maybe it's nipping at your bait funny, you know, that might key you in to, to come back and slow down with a smaller bait, you know, maybe a, a Ned Rig or Finesse Worm or something like that. But I basically was just trying to cover water, figure out where the herring were and where the bass wanted to be and stage up for pre-spawn. And then uh, the other key thing was just figuring out what color they wanted. I knew they'd eat a swim bait, but color's always a deal. You want to build that confidence. I always want to have the confidence as an angler that this color or these two colors are better than the other 50 I got. Right. So that's that was part of the game plan for me. I got to mentally get in there and be ready and be and be confident in something to cover all that much water fast. You want to know you got to bait the hit fast. So do you feel like in that pre-spawn mode, it, you were more concentrated this time? It sounds like just about bait movement and bait orientation in areas that you were fishing. Would that would that be an accurate kind of strategy that you employed to get around pre-spawn bass during that time of year? Yeah, let's let's say I didn't employ that strategy, Kurt. But I've read a lot about herring. I don't have a lot of experience on herring lakes to be honest hardly at all and we don't have herring lakes here in Oklahoma so I'm still learning as I go I know it's a deal I you know spotted bass it's somewhat of an inconvenience for them to spawn so you're going to have big spotted bass that roam and chase balls of herring that just consume their own eggs I firmly believe there's bass that do not spawn they stay out deep they're your six seven eight pound spotted bass that end up being records I I don't know that there's (laughs) I don't know that every fish goes up there and lays their eggs like like we're accustomed to trying to target them doing. Right. But uh, I know the spotted bass don't like spawning, so it seems to me on a on a lake that's a herring lake, there's a good chance they're just going to stay out there roaming around, and and they may get up in that warmer water column, you know, and kind of follow some of the steps. But uh, I keep that in the back of my mind as I'm practicing. I don't want to say I employed. I'm going to go look for balls of herring and find fish eating them. But I got to keep it on my mind that it is a thing to these fish and it's important to them. So as I'm fishing areas that I think should be productive, I'm definitely trying to figure out if there's bait there and where's the bait set up. And in this scenario, the bait, it would, they would get shallow, but for the most part, they were suspended out deeper. A lot of fish for me in the tournament came out over wide open water. And you've heard this, you're probably going to hear this a bunch, uh, looking at them with forward facing sonar. Sometimes over 80 foot of water, the fish are just chilling there three foot deep. This whole sport is is mind-blowing now. Everything we thought we knew about fish, you might as well cut it in half. I don't think we knew half of what we thought we knew. (laughs) And and it's, it's back to the drawing board for us. Yeah, well, great info there, Kyle, and and want to shift gears a little bit because Smith Lake sounds a lot different than your lakes in Oklahoma. What types of changes in your pre-spawn approach will you make to more or less put fish in the boat this spring in your home state of Oklahoma? Yeah, so it, it is different, Aaron, because of the herring um, and the sheer population of mean big spotted bass. So for those two reasons, it's different. It's really deep, but we've got some deep lakes here in Oklahoma. It's really rocky. We've got these rocky, you know, Grand Lake. We've got these deeper rocky Lake 10 Killer. Um, It's a pretty diverse fishery here in Oklahoma. So there are some similarities that you can take from state to state. You know, if you look at a lateral line, longitudinal lateral line, we're not not really that far off where I'm at in Oklahoma at all. from from where uh, Smith Lake was. I mean, we're, that's uh, kind of right on the border of Oklahoma, Texas is where it lines up. And so they were a little ahead of us. Um, so I'm, what I mean by that is it's a little warmer. The spawn should be further along. The dogwoods were already blooming the whole line when you get there. So when I carry that back over to Oklahoma, if I'm going to fish a clear water fishery or something cleaner, um, there's a lot that can transfer over. But if you're going to tell me, if you're going to make me talk about my Arkansas rivers, my Keystone Lakes, my dirty Lake Eufaula, <laughs> you know, if you're wanting to talk about, uh, you know, some of them little dirty ones, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a bit different. And uh, the different techniques we're talking about employing there, you know, if you, if you got to fish dirty water during the spawn, first thing you need to know is they're going to get even shallower, right? If you can't see them and they can't, I mean, they need sun. They need the sun to be able to hit them. So if it's really dirty and that sun can't penetrate that dirty water, they're going to get even shallower. So you really can't get too shallow ever in a dirty water spawning fishery in Oklahoma. So with that in mind, it, it, you know, what kind of baits can you throw that you can fish shallow? You know, maybe it's a frog, maybe it's some kind of top water, you're comfortable, but it's real brushy. Uh, maybe a spinner bait is going to be your go-to because you still need them to help locate the bait because it's dirty. So they can't see it as well. So your spinner baits, your top waters, uh, your buzz baits, uh, and then if you got a little open water, you know, crankbait is just, those are going to be kind of your go-to pre-spawn dirty water stuff here in Oklahoma. 
Kyle, it sounds like, you know, if I if I visualize, you know, like the Smith Lake and even let's take a table rock, you know, uh, Aaron, Aaron fishes table rock quite a bit. You, you may, too. It's not too far from from where you're at in Oklahoma. But, you know, it's kind of like the pre spawn and the spawn. Man, it happens real close, maybe within a casting distance. Right. <laughs> I mean, you oh. know. You're sitting off, let's say, even at, at a lake like you mentioned, Tin Killer, and, and you're sitting off of some deep water. But, man, the, the transition to the spawning rocks and shelves that they get on, you know, even how a lot of that rock, you know, just kind of tables out and, and kind of creates little ledges in there. And, and a lot of those spots and, and even obviously some largemouth and smallmouth in, in those lakes will spawn in those areas outside of the normal what you visualize, you know, back of pockets in the bushes and brush. So when you take that kind of Smith Lake or Tin Killer type scenario it happens pretty closely i feel like you know maybe maybe at a lot of times within casting distance like i mentioned but in these lowland impoundments a little bit different right i mean you've got a funnel where a fish might come in from 10 or 15 feet wintering hole how do you follow those fish into that transition you talk about them getting really shallow and how does that strategy adjust for you when you're throwing the spinner baits and the and the frogs and that kind of stuff and and what kind of cover do they get up around in those areas yeah you make a good point i, I wish i could have had you as a wingman over there at smith lake cause, <laughs> uh, it's it's funny as as i'm listening to you and uh obviously i'm trying to be attentive and know what question you're going with but you got my fish brain started turning about smith lake when you were talking there and about how right you are that a lot of the places i caught them were these bluff ledges um you know 120 foot bluff ledges come straight up just a sheer bluff face wall right underwater and then it would it would flat out it would flatten out for you know 10 or 15 foot deep it would just be this this kind of vast flat for me those were the uh, some of the more productive areas in practice and they were staged up where there were times I'm casting all the way to the bank and getting a couple bites in shallow water but then I'd spin around and cast to a fish that's in 120 foot of water uh <laughs> it over and you're a million percent right uh, had that could have been like an area where you know do I want to catch one on a bed I'll throw left do I want to catch one out in 120 foot I'll throw right and not even move my boat so Anyway, so yeah, that that was a kind of a unique insight that you said that because it's true. That's what we experienced at Smith Lake. We literally went from we had frost on everything the first yeah. two mornings of practice. It's cold. And <laughs> exactly, but then I mean, literally, I had to get I had to strip down to my underwear later in the day to get my long undie Mondays off, and you know because I had this <laughs> right. black long underwear underneath, and then get back into just some pants because I was just dripping sweat. And those fish moved fast. I mean, they changed fast, and they changed every day of the event for me there. In Oklahoma, it does seem like it is more gradual. Of course, you can have that sudden burst of heat, and we're getting it. But you can get that sudden burst of heat, and they move faster. But it does seem like it's a little easier to keep up with them uh, on these lower, flatter, muddier lakes. Because like you said, where they winter up and, and where they stage up, it's that 12, 15, 20 foot, if that ends up being what it is, that can be a really long way away right. from these spawning pockets. And so it's a lot easier to kind of keep your thumb on them, if you will, uh, where they are. And the type of structure they like to spawn on, again, it's, it's going to be your any kind of gravel in Oklahoma. If you can find gravel, you're in the chips, man. I mean, it, it's a gravel deal. Obviously, spotted bass. Um, they like those clay banks, you know, so that's a different deal. I don't target clay banks very much in Oklahoma. That's usually the, the nasty stuff. You stay away right, from it. Right. Um, so there's that difference. But, man, just your little buck brush. If you got the water up and you got some buck brush, um, they're going to spawn around docks like crazy. Docks are such a unique deal for responding bass, especially in Oklahoma. It offers them that shelter that they're looking for when they're incubating their eggs. They can get up under them docks and warm. It'll have baits swimming by your bluegill, your shad. So it's got everything they need. And that's why you'll find some of those marinas are so phenomenal when they do hit the beds. I mean, you get behind those docks, it's protected from the wind, it's warm, it's comfy, they feel safe, it's got bait, and you'll just find these stretches, you know, just loaded with beds, if you can see them. Yeah. Um, but keep that in mind, even if you can't see them, those docks are still a harbor for them pre-spawn. And so even if you can't see them fishing in front of docks, and I, when I say in front, everybody gets confused with what my in front of a dock is versus behind the dock or whatever, but in between the bank and the dock is always going to be a good spot to fish in Oklahoma. 
We're going to dive into that in the second part of the interview. That's a that's a great topic. Kyle, um, we're going to take a quick pause in the action. We're going to power pull down for a small break. Y'all hang in there. Bass Edge Radio will return with more from MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Cortiana. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with professional angler Kyle Cortiana in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Well, Kyle, you have come so close several times to getting the W on the Toyota Series at Fort Gibson, like Kurt originally mentioned. If you could shed some light to anglers and, and Bass Edge Nation on how to master a lake, what would you say are three important factors or a couple important factors that really make you so successful at it? Well, I can come up with a few, but I think first and foremost, I don't think you can ever master a lake. I really don't. I think that uh, that at-home curse can get you every time, all the time. I think uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> it really can. Uh, it is definitely a double-sided sword. But just anything in life, the second you feel comfortable that you're good to go, you're going to get that curveball, you know. So I guess that would be one of my things, you know. Always remain open-minded about where you're fishing. I don't care how well you know it. If you've got really good knowledge of it, use that knowledge. But don't use it closed-mindedly. But Grand Lake's a home lake for me, too, and it has bit me in the rear so many times. Um, so uh, Fort Gibson has been very kind to me, and it is my home lake. I live, I can be in a boat ramp in 20, 25 minutes from my house. I grew up fishing there from the bank with my dad. And uh, when I started fishing little jackpots and stuff in high school, and when I got out of college, I ran a little jackpot out of Toppers, which is a real popular area down there. So I fished a tournament there every evening for years. So I know a lot about the lake. And so open-minded, it would be number one. Um, but if you really know a lot about your lake and you feel like you're mastering it well, you've got all that experience, it is your home lake. So you know where the fish should be more times than not. And I think that what that gives you an advantage over the rest of your your competition is you can be patient. So for me on Fort Gibson, my success has been strongly contributed to patience. Mm -hmm. I know these fish are here. This is where they always are. This is where they want to be. And they're just not biting right now. But I'm going to wait them out. Fort Gibson is very much one of those lakes. That can bite you in the tail, and it has on other lakes for me trying to wait them out. But on Fort Gibson, just being patient in those areas that I know those fish are, and I know I'll get a bite. I might have to rotate through a few baits or just wait for some shad to come through or whatever it is. But being patient, knowing you're in the right area is really important on, on a lake that you feel like you know well. And then the easy one, the softball, is you do know those little secret places. You know those little rock piles that are offshore. You know those little brush piles or that one special dock that's always got a big one, and hopefully you got four or five of those to run. But you know some of those places, so that is definitely a key tool. As much as it's a double-edged sword, having all those waypoints, you know out of those 800 waypoints you got in your lake, you know that five or ten of them are better than the other 795. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so that still is a, is a really good advantage. There's, you can't replace time on the water. And if you put that time in, learn how to do something and, and master a craft on a particular body of water, you've got to find the balance between fishing open-minded and using that knowledge. Great insight right there. If anybody's wanting, just go to Kyle's Angler profile at the uh, MLF page and just check out his Toyota series. I mean, his record on Fort Gibson is ridiculous. It's, uh, I think, three second-place finishes and two other top tens uh, in Toyota Series events there on Fort Gibson. I can't remember exactly, but I, I was perusing Kyle when I was, you know, getting all my info on you, getting ready for the interview, and uh, I was like, dude. 
got to talk about Master in the Lake because although you haven't got the W yet, man, it's it's coming down the road. So I just wanted to give all the listeners a little insight to uh, Kyle Cortiana's extreme pleasure with fishing for Gibson. <laughs> so I appreciate that, man. Yeah. There is a heartbreaker on there. I, you know, I don't mind getting second. I mean, obviously we want to win. Um, but I got second once to one of my really good friends, Derek Folks. And if I was going to lose somebody, I love losing to him. But there's one of them on there where I tied for first place. Oh, I was geez. leading the event oh. on day one. I slipped up on day two and had and had a fish lost at the boat and didn't even come in with a limit. And then on day three, I weighed the biggest bag of day three. And I ended up tying uh, Tommy Dickerson. And oh. uh, there were some digital scales, issue, you know, were like, oh, I won. And then they pulled the fish back up, put it back down. I'm like, wait a minute. That, it just got heavier by now. <laughs> and and uh, so it, it was really heartbreaking to have the exact same weight. And the tiebreaker was who was leading going into the final day. And, and he was leading it. And, uh, so I lost a tiebreaker, you know, and, and the payout was magnificently different <laughs> between yeah. first and second. So there is some heartbreak. So I, I do want to get some revenge. I would like to get a win there for sure. Well, great. great. I'm glad I brought that up. That's even great. A lot of people don't get that. You know, we were talking about an earlier segment. I had a decent day at Smith Lake the first day and I lost a quality fish you know, at the freaking net. And I remember looking back at my marshal, I'm like, and that's the stuff that folks at home don't see. They don't feel it. They don't get it. I'm not saying they don't get it, but, you know, they just don't see what happens throughout that. That's another great example is you see the stats. You see what's going on. Man, Kyle's a great job. Dude, to lose and well, I say lose, to finish second, <laughs> that kind of circumstance, that's a <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right, moving into chatting more about this pre-spawn and spawning behavior. Before the break in the interview, you started getting into the dock talk. And uh, when I say dock talk, about dock fishing and how fish like to spawn, particularly in Oklahoma, lots of other lakes. And and a lot of people will be able to relate to this uh, with dock fishing. Oklahoma anglers deal with, as many other places, I think at Lake of the Ozarks, Table Rock, Grand... um, Cable docks, right? Smith Lake, cable docks. I hate <laughs> a freaking cable dock. You've got to maneuver around. It's tough to get around these docks, tough to get around these areas. But you're exactly right. The fish love to spawn back there. They get back in these little cubbies, these little hideaways, nice protected areas. What is the key to being successful at fishing cable docks? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, definitely a curveballer throwing at me this morning, Kurt. But I think the so that Kyle just telling so you to bubble unique, wrap your boat so you don't scratch it. That's that's the first thing. <laughs> that's true. Um, the unique thing about a cable dock versus your standard post dock, where you've just got these vertical, uh, typically wood posts, sometimes they're steel, where they go away up and down. There's typically going to be four cables, if you will. There may be more, give or take some, depending on how they've got their dock anchored. But you've got what I'm going to call your shallow, your shallow cables, the ones that are running from the corner of the dock to the bank. But they've got deep cables, too. And this was a player, Kurt, you may hate, this may be why you messed up, Kurt, because right. there's some deep cables off the backs of them docks. And if you don't like cables, you may have stayed away from them. But <laughs> the, no, I'm just kidding. But the fish were, the fish were on them. It was we. I, I dumbed into that almost in practice, where I panned out in the open uh, and thought I saw a few big ones roaming. And I throw out there and I catch a three and three quarter pound spot. And I'm on the phone with my roommate Brandon Mosley. I'm like, dude, that, I don't think that fish was on anything at all. Just out there, nothing. And then when I started getting closer, I realized a dock, one of the deep cables, had shot off the back of the dock out to really deep water, but it was shooting at like a 45 degree angle. And those fish were relating to that cable. Because they wanted to be shallow, they wanted to be suspended in that warming column, but they wanted to relate to something if they could, whether it be to ambush, you know, ambush the herring or whatever. Anyway, so they'll relate to the docks on the deep side when they're pre-spawn. It's just another piece of structure. It's almost like a dangling piece of brush for them. So keep that in mind on the deep side of the docks. And then when you get on the shallow side of the docks, they don't really hold to them. As, but there may be some that dip down in the water. But typically those cables, they go through a tension compression deal, depending how the waves are, right, Kurt? Like the dock right. will move in and the, and, the, and the cable will sink down. And then maybe that's your opportunity to take your boat over the top of it if it sinks enough. That's what uh, freaks me out, dude. What happens yeah. if the wind? I mean, <laughs> 
Oh, you can get high centered on one for sure, and he will scratch the bottom of your boat. Because uh, inevitably, if, if the cable goes into compression and sags, uh, the next time the dock stretches out, it lifts up and, and they'll grab a hold of you. So there's that. So, I mean, you're not really fishing the front cables necessarily. The fish aren't really holding to those. Um, but what they are for me is they're a, an, an extra hurdle for another angler or competitor. That's how I look at them. Not only does that dock offer that harbor that I was telling you about where they feel protected back there. I mean, it's not just going to, it's not like every dock, all your main leg docks. I'm talking about you're back in a spawning pocket here in Oklahoma. And typically those south facing banks, you know, are, are kind of the first ones to pull the fish up on them because they don't get those cold winds and they get a lot of sun because the sun's, you know, coming across the state in the southern hemisphere. But it's a hurdle for another angler. So if I spend my time on the water to practice fishing those cables, those ones that are hard to get to, for me, I love skipping like a little three-eighths ounce jig, like a finesse jig. So I can get to where that cable is out of the water and just, you know, skip it however many times I can skip it as far as I can and get it back in there where another angler will often just go buy it because it's a hassle for them. They don't want to deal with it. And uh, so for me, it, it, I see it as an opportunity to get somewhere or another. Not as many anglers are going to go. So that's kind of how I do the dock thing in Oklahoma, especially Grand Lake. Yeah, that's, especially Grand Lake. Uh, I loved your explanation, Kyle. And uh, I, I know we're, we're pressing you on, on a lot of information here and, and time is running. But I do want to fit in one, one more question on pre-spawn before we head into the listener question from the pre-spawn slash, I guess, spawn transition, if you will. You know, what areas of the lake will you look for that uh, movement to occur first? And and do you think there's a, a tournament advantage to fishing for one behavior pattern over the other in the spring months? That is a, another great question, Aaron. You guys have obviously thought these through. So for me, each angler's got to decide what their strength is, what they're comfortable doing. For me, I'm not a great bed fisherman. I don't, I, it's fun. It's a blast. And I hey, love hey, doing man, it on brother. the weekends. <laughs> Yeah, I love doing it on the weekends with my dad or my actually my dad hates it because his eyes aren't very good. You can't see him, but <laughs> but I it's fun when you're not pressured for time. I I enjoy watching and learning about a fish's behavior and how each are different. But I don't want to do it in a tournament. I really don't. So over my years, I've decided that I'm going to try to target those fish that are no longer spawning or are not spawning yet. So which one of those are going to weigh more at the scales? Well, obviously the ones that haven't dropped their eggs. So I'm going to try to fish a lake if I can to chase those pre-spawn fish where I think they are. I've got some really good su success doing that. And so the information I'll share with you is that most often uh, lakes drain north to south. Not always. There are some definitely some unique ones. Tennessee River, the whole river drains north. But on our lakes, a lot of your lakes will drain north to south, so we take a typical lake that drains from north to south. The north end of that lake is typically going to be more like a river. It's going to be shallower. It's going to receive that, that southern hemisphere sun, a lot of those south-facing banks, so, so the shores that are on the north side of Coves and Pocket. To me, the north end of your lake in that scenario is always going to be warmer. It's always going to be shallower, and as long as it offers the right type of bottom and cover, your fish are going to start spawning up there first. And I've literally been able to chase that down the lake if you wanted to chase the spawn, if you will. So the first week of April, they're at the top of the lake. Maybe the second to third week of April, they're they're down two miles. And you can literally chase it down the lake all the way to the dam. So it's, it's literally like chasing the tide, kind of, so to speak. It is just like chasing the tide. It is just like it. And so for me, if I can figure out where they're pre-spawn or where they're spawning, I'll go a little bit further into that, into that little deeper, little cooler, the water that hasn't got to be that warm yet with those fish still. I mean, think about it. A fish at, a, at the dam has no idea what's going on 30, 40 miles up the river on the same lake. He or she has no idea the water's 10, 15 degrees warmer in areas. And, you know, they can't see the dogwoods are blooming outside. They don't hear, you know, they don't know. And so they're just doing what instinct has them do. And, so you can literally get in front of that curve is what I'm saying. So I, I typically will chase pre-spawn bass because they weigh more. So if I can figure out the bass are spawning up there, I'm going to go back down lake, find a little bit cooler water, uh, and try to target my pre-spawn bass because they're, they're going to weigh more. Confidence plays a big key role. It sounds like uh, Kyle knows where he's headed when the game is on the line, man. I love the explanation, too, <laughs> about the uh, 
about your warming trends. Fantastic, man. I think Bass Edge Nation will really be able to relate to that. So I uh, appreciate it, man. It's time for the listener question segment brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Our question today comes from Benjamin Hunter. Kyle, I got I to gotta throw this out to you real quick. This is a great question brought in by Ben, and it's not an easy one to answer. So I'm going to preface, <laughs> preface it, giving you this question before uh, to the audience that, man, this is a tough one, but uh, good luck. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss it more. <laughs> but... <laughs> okay, Ben Hunter. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Benjamin asks, I would consider myself an avid bass fisherman. All this new technology for me is taking the fun out of it. Sea anglers spending thousands of dollars, yet they don't bring any fish to the scale. He's got a 16 Skeeter. It's a plain bass boat. Doesn't have any of the fancy shallow water anglers or expensive spot lock trolling motor. And, uh, man, Kylie doesn't even get into the forward-facing sonar in this, but I will. Um, but he wants to keep it simple, Ben does. He still uses an anchor and a rope. His question. Oh, wow. Okay. His question. Yes, <laughs> what do you have on your boat that you could get rid of and still be able to catch just as many fish? Oh, come on, Ben. That one. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> – and just so everybody's answer. clear, I know that Kyle's got it all. He's got the four-facing sonar. <laughs> he's got the poles. He's got – you got it decked out. So so this is a great question for you. I do, and I, I'm going to try to answer this in several different folds if you let me, Kurt. I don't know if we're limited yeah, on time yeah, or whatnot. Yeah. But, Let's do it, yeah. Um, so first, Ben, don't ever let anybody take the fun out of the fishing for you. So whatever, whatever it takes to bring the fun back, make sure to keep the fun in there because that's why we do it. It is, it is a blast to do. And apparently you enjoy lifting up an anchor with a rope. And if you find fun doing that, uh, you know, that's fantastic. You're probably in great shape because I can totally <laughs> relate to that. Um, I've not had a boat my whole life. In fact, I didn't have my own boat and it wasn't even my own boat. But when I got out of college and got my engineering degree, you know, I didn't have no money. My dad didn't have no money. And uh, we went in halves on a boat. We probably bought the boat in 2010 together. That's the first time I had my own boat. And we bought a $10,000, 18.5-foot Procraft with a 150 EFI, Mercury EFI on it. That's what we bought. And that's what we fished out of. And then we had an anchor and a rope. We did not have a nice <laughs> troll. We, so, so. I've, I've been there. I've done all that. I have, I understand the part where you can get frustrated not having power poles to, to, to lock you when you're shallow and, and the wind blows you on top of your brush pile or blows you on the shallow, shallow bushes or the lay down you just had a bite on and the wind blew you right on top. You missed the bite. You didn't get to throw at it again. I understand that part of it for sure. But all of those things from a professional level have become mandatory because they all help you catch more fish. So when you ask me if I can catch as many fish without one of those things, whether it be my power pole when I'm shallow uh, or spawning or my Lowrance electronics, I have to have those, one, for safety. you got to have that bathymetric data, the underwater contours for safety. you got to know where you're going. So first and foremost for safety. But for locating fish and the new forward-facing sonar, the active target, being able to see where they are, um, I'm competing against that. And so that, it, no doubt, I catch more fish. I caught 80% of my fish at Smith Lake using my Lawrence Active Target, looking at them. And, you know, the spot lock feature is really nice when you're offshore. Um, I, I guess if I have to give up one, if I had to, I'd tell you take my live well, and I'd still catch just as many. But that's not one of the, that's not one of the items. That's not one of the items you're gonna let me take off. Um, maybe I could give up the spot lock feature. That would be the one that if you're making me pick one, but I need them all to compete. Uh, otherwise, I'm gonna, you know, you, often you're going to get outfished. So I guess I would let them have my spot lock feature back. So I'll run your trolling motor, Ben, but you got to let me keep everything else. Uh, <laughs> and I guess that would be my answer. No, that's a, that's a great answer, Kyle. You know, my answer would be to – uh, Ben's question of what do you have on your boat that you could get rid of and still be able to catch just as many fish? My answer would be me because I still would catch just as many fish and suck just as bad as what I normally do. So, hey, uh, I really appreciate Kyle you diving off into that, and I could not agree with you more. I think Kurt echoes this. You know, all of us got into the sport because of our love and passion, 
and uh, whatever that looks like, whether it's from a kayak from the bank or dropping that anchor, um, I, I really appreciate you kind of addressing that purist mentality that that uh, so many of us kind of latched onto and, and keep us involved in this sport. So, Ben, we do need one more thing from you, and that is to make sure that you log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information so that we can get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to your doorstep. And as a reminder to Bass Edge listeners, keep firing in those questions of the show, man. We really enjoy seeing everybody's thought process out there and bringing it to attention here on the show. And you can send in those questions through the website, BassEdge.com. Just simply click the Ask the Pros tab, fill out the question. If your question is answered on the show, you are going to win a gift from Bass Edge Radio. Um, You can also put those questions out there on our social media platforms, on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we will do our best to get as many as we can on Bass Edge episodes in the future. Well, Kyle, uh, certainly great to meet you today and, and really enjoyed having you on the show any final uh, thoughts or remarks for bass edge nation yeah sure uh again thank you guys so much kurt aaron i really appreciate you uh having me on the show you guys do a great job uh hosting these things so i've enjoyed that and, and again thanks ben hunter for the question a really tough one really good one so um <laughs> and anyway get out there and whoop up on them in that 16 footer it's just an extra challenge so that's fun to do um real quick i, w- I would like to mention my title sponsor this year is jaw tech bait company they are a, a bait company out of Texas, family-owned, family-run. Uh, they started back in the 80s and 90s. Kurt, you may have known them yeah, back in the day. I have heard of them. Um, they ha- yeah, they had a pretty strong presence back then. Uh, the owner, Bruce, at the time, uh, started to have quite a few kids, and he put the company on the shelf, put family first. And you fast forward now, and one of his children, his name is Colt Benedict. Uh, he's 26 years old. He did the high school fishing, the college fishing. He's got a good, steady job. But he decided it's time for Jaw Tech to come back. So it's still being run by the original owner and the family, and they got that thing up and running. And just expect to see a lot of cool new things coming from them. Uh, wacky crawl, wacky worm. They got the French fry and the Jawtech punch shad, which I employed both the French fry and the punch shad at Smith Lake uh, that attributed to my success there. So be on the lookout for that. They're literally building baits, building websites, doing everything right now. So it's going to be another cool bait company, uh, you know, based right here in the United States, down in Texas. So uh, watch out for them. Kistler Rods now have a new amazing reels out. They got the Series 1, Series 2 bait casting reels, and I've put them to the test at Okeechobee and Smith Lake, and I put my stamp of approval on them. They are phenomenal. So um, buy with confidence if you're going to go check out a new bait casting reel. The rods have always been the best, and now they're stepping up at the reels. So definitely want to give those things some shout-outs, and uh, please go check out the YouTube channel. The Smith Lake videos finished fourth place. At one point in this video, I have two five-pound spotted bass hooked on the same swim bait, and I almost net them both. So there's going to be some really cool video in here, a lot of cool fish catches. I catch a four-and-a-half-pound largemouth in 80 foot of water on a dock. And so we've been talking about docks. So uh, there's going to be uh, there's a lot of cool fish catches for you to go watch there. So please go over and check out my YouTube page. And it's just my name, Kyle Cortiana. Uh, so I appreciate that. Yeah, and just so everybody, I've watched lots of Kyle's videos and a stamp of approval, man. He does a great job on that YouTube channel. Be sure to check it out. Kyle, man, appreciate you spending the time with us today. Great show. Enjoyed the episode. Look forward to seeing you a few weeks uh, down there in South Carolina at Lake Murray. Uh, Should be another great MLF Big Five Pro Circuit event. Y'all stay tuned. Aaron and I will return with some closing remarks right back in a jiffy. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. 
The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. I have to tell you, you know, uh, if, if I was a seasoned veteran angler and, and depending upon, you know, media and stuff like that, the, these new guys are bringing the goods again. I know we've had back-to-back Kyles, but uh, again, this Kyle brought the goods as always on Bass Edge Radio. Yeah, man. Another great episode. Uh, Cortiana, he's got it going on. Um, he's, 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 uh, he's doing good things. He's he's able to live, live the dream, uh, similar to Kyle Gellis was, you know, talking about last episode and uh, Cortiana's man, he, you know, he's, he's lighting it up and, and loved his breakdown of, you know, pre-spawn versus spawn and um, his tactic to, uh, you know, really dive into that those pre-spawn fish and try to stay with those bass throughout that behavioral cycle and agreed with him. You, you know, anglers have to pick their poison and, and what they're wanting to do because it's hard to fish for two different styles of behavioral patterns in a day of fishing. And, um, and I love to sight fish. I, I love to get up there and, and look for them. And, and that's kind of my, one of my strengths. And, you know, you got to respect a guy that understands his strengths too, that, that he's going after those pre-spawn fish. And, and that's a great thing about spring, right, Aaron? So many ways to uh, dissect the fishery and how he follows you know his pattern that he's trying to uh, exploit yeah for sure uh really enjoyed uh, the, the entire interview doc cables to to all of yeah that that is my scariest thing in the world i, I hate cable docs i mean absolutely and I, and I think i just need to take my time you know that's what kyle mentions and and men those fish are definitely less pressured yeah, growing up where I grew up, Kurt, and fishing Lake of the Ozarks and Table Rock and some of those lakes, uh, resistance to dock cables, I will tell you, is futile. Um, <laughs> better embrace them. But no, as always, it's been a fun show. Well done on getting our guest together today. Um, in the meantime, the leaves are getting greener, the grass is growing, turkeys are gobbling, and it's that time of year to be on the water. So with that said, uh, we will not belabor the point. Look forward to our next episode, which will be episode 350, April 15th. In the meantime, stay on on top of all things Bass Edge through social media. Make sure to log on to BassEdge.com. Get you some of that Bass Edge swag that uh, Kurt said he is going to be modeling here in the near term. Oh, yeah. Check uh, that out. It's right. hot. It's hot. <laughs> so, But anyway, Kurt and I certainly appreciate you guys hanging here with us. And uh, we look forward to April 15th, episode 350. So long, everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.